name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Like I said, Ronnie and I were the experienced divers, so we got dressed and we got in the water. I mean, it just took a minute. We were in the water and we were gone. If you don't know anything about diving, let me tell you something about diving. The quarry, at most of the depth of the quarry is 40 feet, and there was a couple places that were over 60 feet. But what that means is that you could stay down till the very end of your tank because you didn't have to do any kind of decompression. You could just go down, and then when you came up, that was it. You just came up. And so we stayed down until our tanks were empty. The lake, uh, or Lake Rollins or the quarry that was that had become a lake, it was several acres big. And so when we came up about an hour later, we were on the far side of the quarry. I mean, it was a long way. And uh, we came up, you know, it was so far away that the, that the people on the, where we'd gone in, they were just little teeny things. You couldn't really see much at all. And I was tired, Ronnie was tired, but now we had to swim back. I mean, on top of the water with all our gear. And I remember I was more comfortable swimming on my back and Ronnie was swimming kind of doggy paddle up front like this. And we, we started swimming for a bit. And then Ronnie said, Jimmy, there's an ambulance on the shore. And of course, I turned over and I could see the ambulance up on the shore. Now, my first thought, the first thought that came to my mind was something has happened to Shepherd. Because that was my concern when I went into the water. Something's happened to Shepherd. So, of course, at this point, we're swimming as fast as we can. I'm back on my back again, and Ronnie's still doing the front doggy paddle thing. And, and then he goes, Jimmy, they're doing CPR on somebody. And of course, by this point, I became convinced that my son, Shepard, had drowned. Was he, was he dead? I mean, I can't tell you how convinced I was. I knew it was Shepard. Sherry and the children had been looking for us for a while. And of course, when we came up on that far side, I guess eventually they saw us. I'm sure we would have been just like a little bob in the water. But they saw us and Nathan, Ronnie's oldest son, got in a kayak and started paddling towards us. And when Nathan was close enough that we could see him and hear him, um, we both asked, or one of us asked, Nathan, who is it? Who is it? And, um, and it wasn't Shepard. It was Tony, one of, Ronnie's, uh, one of Ronnie's co-workers from down at the plant. And it was a sad day. Tony did die that day. There was a malfunction in his equipment and, and all kinds of stuff, and he ended up drowning. But I tell you that story because I want you to relate to my emotions. I want you to feel what I felt as I'm swimming back, absolutely convinced that Shepard has drowned. Now, Shepard, for those of you that are guests, Shepard would actually die 17 years later. He would, uh, he would be killed in a motorcycle accident. So in retrospect, when I look back on that day, it wasn't grief that I was experiencing because I would later know what grief is. And that was not grief that I experienced on the way. I think it was terror that I was experiencing as far as emotion. But here's the point that I want you to hear from me. When I found out it wasn't Shep, I experienced a euphoria, a joy. Uh, I just can't explain. I'm somewhat ashamed of that because Tony drowned. I didn't know Tony, but Tony drowned. But I, I, I guess I was somewhat ashamed of my reaction and my emotions. But the euphoria that I felt that day when I found out that it wasn't Shepard. 
I'm pretty convinced that that same euphoria is exactly what the disciples felt when they realized that Jesus wasn't dead. They had watched Jesus die. They'd watched him not just die any death, but they had watched him die a really hard death. They'd watched him suffer as he died. And their grief was real. And, uh, you know, and I'm sure their confusion was somewhat real as well. But, but then he's alive. And you can imagine the confusion that they must have felt, really. I mean, what in the world is going on here? That must have been the kind of thought that they had, right? But when they became convinced that Jesus was alive, I guarantee you, the euphoria and the joy and the relief that they experienced would have, I'm sure, been even more than mine that day as I'm swimming, knowing that Shepherd has drowned, but he hadn't. Now, you and I are far removed from the emotions of that day. In fact, we weren't there, and, and we don't have that, uh, that sort of uh, emotional response that they had. But that being said, everyone, the resurrection of Jesus ought to affect us greatly. It ought to affect you greatly. What I want to share with you for just a little bit this morning is I want to share with you some thoughts I had on my walk a couple of weeks ago. I was, I was walking and talking to the Lord, and, um, and I was thinking about the resurrection of Jesus. And so this is a topical talk. This is, I'm not going to go to a specific scripture and expose or explain that to you. I'm just going to share with you the thoughts that Jesus gave me. I feel like he gave me as far as how the resurrection affects me and how it affects you, how it should affect us this morning. So I've got three points. Um, here's my first one. Here's what the resurrection should do for us. It should give us hope for tomorrow. It should fill our heart with hope. I, I didn't plan it with Michael, but this morning listening to the songs and how often the song spoke of hope, right? The Bible speaks often of hope. Maybe that's why we sing about it so much, because the Bible talks about it. Not too long ago, we did a series on discipleship. Remember that? And the foundational verse was from Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. And, and this is what he said to them. He says, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of, of some glorious future. That's what he means. Peter says something different but similar. Here's what Peter says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth. Listen, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the resurrection of Jesus, Peter says, gives us hope. And he doesn't just say it's a hope, but he's, he qualifies this hope. And he says, this is a living hope. This is, this is, a, this is a hope that's just alive. It's not something dead that we kind of hold to in the past. No, it's living. It's a hope that's in our hearts all the time. Now, if you're wondering this morning what that hope is, I, I want to tell you what that hope is. And, you know, I, here's what that hope is at its, at its core. And I know, listen, our church family, have a number of guests here this morning. In our church family, maybe you're tired of me saying this, and I'm sorry, but I'm going to say it, and I'm going to say it, and I'm going to say it over, and I'm going to say it again. Because it is at the core of what our hope is, and it's this. Our hope is that death is not the end of us. That death isn't the end of this life. That we actually get to live beyond this. And that is the core of the hope that the that the, the writers of the New Testament had. And their hope, listen to me, everyone. Their hope was, and your hope should be, 
that one day God is going to resurrect you from the dead. That God is going to take you out of the ground and out of the grave and he's going to give you your life back. And that is their central hope and it's what they all talked about if you have eyes to see it. Here's what Paul said to the Philippian church. Listen, this is chapter 3 verse 10 if you're taking notes. But he says, Paul said, his goal is to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. So he wants to know the power of Jesus' resurrection. Being conformed to his death. Now listen, here's, here's his climactic verse. That by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's Paul's hope, that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Here's what he told the church at Rome. He says, and this is chapter 8, verse 23, Not only that, but we ourselves, who have been given the Spirit as the first fruits. Now listen, we also groan within ourselves. What are we groaning for? Eagerly waiting for our adoption as children of God. So we're groaning on the inside, Paul said, waiting for our adoption as children. But then he tells us when that is. He says, the redemption of our bodies. You know what the redemption of your body is, everyone? It's the resurrection. He says, listen, we wait to be adopted at the resurrection, our resurrection. Now, in this hope we were saved. What hope? This hope of resurrecting. This hope of being adopted as children. But hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes in what he sees? Now, if we hope what we do not, hoping what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Now, according to Paul, listen, listen to his logic. Our adoption as sons is inextricably linked to our resurrection from the dead. And Paul says, this is what we hope for. Even Jesus pointed us to the resurrection numerous times. But I found a new verse that I want to give you. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples about their reward. Listen to what he says. He says, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back. What that says, if you see somebody here today that you don't know, invite them to lunch. <laughs> You're supposed to laugh at that a little bit. Because it's true. And, and, you know, he says, don't invite your friends because they're going to pay you back. Now listen to what Jesus said after that. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor and maimed and lame and blind. Invite the people Jesus is telling them that you think God doesn't care about. Invite them to lunch. And here's his conclusion. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. I'm telling you, beloved, I want you to follow what I'm saying. The resurrection of Jesus today gives us hope for tomorrow, that there is a tomorrow, that there is something beyond the grave. And when will that resurrection be? Man, God is so clear about this. 1 Corinthians 15, listen, verse 20. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, we all die because of Adam, what he did, and, and what God pronounced upon him and in all those that would follow him so also in Christ all will be made alive but each in his own order Christ the first fruits afterward now listen at his coming those who belong to Christ then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the father when he abolishes all rule and all authority and all power Paul says Paul says listen everyone 
First, Jesus rose from the dead. He did it 2,000 years ago. And, and it's why we're here this morning. It's why, hopefully, you're here this morning because you believe that, that Christ rose from the dead. But here's the promise. Because Christ rose from the dead, at his coming, you and I too, if we're dead, we too shall live again. We shall rise from the dead, even as Jesus did. Paul goes on in that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, and he makes this statement. He says, if there is no resurrection in the future, you might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. If there is no resurrection, guys, eat, drink, hey, live your life for yourself, because there is no, no tomorrow if there's no resurrection. That's what Paul says. The resurrection gives us hope for tomorrow that we shall live again. But here's the second thing the resurrection does for us. The resurrection of Jesus gives us help for today. Not just hope for tomorrow, but help for right now, this very moment, this time of my life, and tomorrow's time of my life. Jesus gives me help for that because he's risen from the dead. You say, well, how does he do that? Well, he gives me help because he's here with me. I mean, he's not dead and in the grave, everyone. He's alive and he's here with me. In so many of our movies, right, the hero appears to die, right? And uh, the, the rescuer is dead. And then out of the ashes of his destruction, the hero comes back and he saves the day, right? That's our modern day movie. Well, let me tell you something. That is what Jesus did. Our rescuer, the one who helps us, he was dead, but yet he's alive. And so he's alive to help me now. Our hero returned and he's given the power. He has the power to help me and to give me a meaningful and purposeful and positive life now. Here's an illustration. Let me see if I, I can help you understand what I'm trying to say. And uh, the building behind me is my illustration. And uh, so again, if you're our guest, that building, we built it ourselves. I'm proud of that. I'm not trying to be braggadocious. I'm just simply trying to brag on you guys because we built that building ourselves and we did it debt free. But we couldn't have done it without two guys who came from Georgia to help us, Tommy and John. You remember Tommy and John showed up here and we were all here. We took vacation and we spent like three weeks there. Y'all remember that? And uh, we didn't have a clue what we were doing. The building was sitting out here where you're sitting. I mean, it was all in pieces. We didn't know how to put it together. We didn't know the first thing about putting it together, but John and Tommy did. And they helped us and we screwed it together. And you know what? It's so tall. It took a lot longer than they thought. And the time for them to leave had come. And I remember I was scared to death because we weren't even finished screwing the building together yet. And, uh, and you remember Tommy and John changed their mind and they stayed an extra week until we got it all screwed together. We didn't have all the metal on it, but we had to frame up when they left. And I remember how I felt knowing that Tommy and John weren't going to leave. What I'm trying to tell you folks is Jesus hasn't left us. And he's going to be our helper. And that's why we don't need to be a, afraid in this life. We have someone who's helping us. In John 14, Jesus said, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I'm going to come again. Now, now my thoughts on that are a little bit different. Here's what I think Jesus meant. I'm getting ready to go away in death and go to the cross and die for you. But I'm coming again. And I think he was talking about his resurrection. And he said, I'll never leave you and I'm never going to forsake you. Here's how Jesus helps you. He comes to live in your life and never to leave you again. He comes to live in your life and, and, and he's not ever, ever, ever going to abandon you. 
And if you suffer the greatest suffering that you can suffer in this life that you might imagine, I want you to understand, Jesus is going to walk with you through that. Matthew 28, Jesus said, I am with you all. This is after his resurrection. I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. In Hebrews 13, 5, it says, be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. In other words, Jesus is enough what the author of Hebrews is saying. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Because Jesus is going to walk with you all the time, everyone. Here's the second thing. Here's another reason why you can just, Jesus has helped for us today in his resurrection. Because he gives you strength and, and what you need, the power you need to live your life. Do you remember when, uh, you remember when Jesus was getting ready to ascend back to the Father? And he gathered his guys together and he said, hey, listen, you shall receive what? Power. power. You're going to receive the help you need when the Spirit comes upon you. Now, some of you may consider that cheating because Jesus, he came again, but then he left, right? So, but he said, I'm going to leave my spirit. You say, well, that's cheating. Jesus has left us. No, don't forever forget this. God is one being, but he's three persons. And so the one being is here with us. Jesus, the person has ascended to the father, but he left the spirit. And Jesus, by his spirit, is now giving us the power. The spirit of God is empowering us to live our lives for him. He's empowering us to deal with anything we have to deal with, any suffering you have to deal with, anything you go through. He's never going to abandon you, and he's giving you the power to walk with you. And the spirit does so much more. He leads us and teaches us and equips us and reminds us and convicts us. Jesus isn't going to leave you. He's with us in his spirit, always, always, never leaving us. In fact, do you remember what Jesus calls the spirit? And you go, I mean, all preachers to give you the Greek for this, right? And the Greek for this is, he calls the spirit parakaleo, which is a compound word, parabasai, and kaleo is called. He's the one called alongside of us. And you know how translators in English translate the word parakaleo? They translate it, the helper. God is our helper, everyone. I mean, he's going to be with you. And you don't have anything, you don't have anything to fear. So, the resurrection of Jesus does two things for us. It gives us hope for tomorrow. But it also gives us help for today. Every single day of your life, he's going to walk with you. But here's the third and final thing. The resurrection of Jesus gives us... I believe, healing for always. Because Jesus died and, and rose again, he's resurrected. Because of that, he's going to fix everything that's broken. He's going to fix everything that's wrong. And he's going to remove the curse from the world. In that Romans passage that I read you earlier about how we groan within ourselves waiting for the, our redemption, the redemption of our bodies and our adoption as sons, Here's the first part of that text. I didn't read it. I'm going to read it to you now. It's Romans 8, 20. For the creation, God was subject to deterioration, not willingly, but because of God who subjected, subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the, the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Here's what that says. That when man fell, God put a curse on the world and the curse is 
deterioration. The, the curse is falling apart. The curse is growing old and decaying. But Jesus, because he's risen from the dead, God says he's going to remove that curse when he comes back. And so creation's groaning and waiting for that day. And so are we. We are groaning within ourselves. I know y'all don't like me to talk about my age. I'll do it anyway. I groan when I get up in the morning and I'm only 61 years old. It hurts. My feet hurt. Everything hurts for a few minutes when I get out of bed, right? I'm groaning and I'm waiting for the day when God's going to redeem everything and he's going to remove the decay. I was reading this week in my, in my research for this morning, I was reading something that you're going to, I think you'll find this interesting. Did you know that in the DNA, in our DNA, in our code, our cells are told to age? Our cells are told to deteriorate. Did you know that every seven years you're a new person? Seriously, every seven years, your whole self has been renewed. The old cells of seven years earlier have died, and, you're, and you all have new cells every seven years. You're an absolutely new person every seven years. Your consciousness, your consciousness is also uh, emerging and growing during during that time. So your consciousness remains the same through all of that. But you are a you're a different person. Your cells are changing themselves. But written in their code is a is a deterioration part. So that as they renew, they also get older. We get wrinkles on our face, and and I guess everything hurts and all of that. You know, I got to thinking about this. In science, by the way, scientists, you know what scientists are trying to do right now? They're trying to find a way to extricate the, the, uh, the deterioration code out of our DNA. They're trying to remove that. God could have written in your DNA. Listen, everyone. God could have written in your DNA that when you became 25 years of age, that your cells just reproduce a 25-year-old without any aging DNA in them or without any aging code in them. Wouldn't it be cool? You know, Glenn, you'd be 25 years old. You're 25-year-old Glenn still today. We'd all, we'd all, after every seven years, just have a new 25-year-old. I'll tell you what, I would, I would love that. Here's my suggestion to you. And here's what God says. I mean, I don't know how he's going to do it, everyone. But in the new age, in the resurrection, he is going to make everything new. And he's going to heal us for all times. For always. Listen to what he says, okay? This is 1 Corinthians 15. But somebody's going to ask, how are the dead raised? Maybe you're thinking that this morning. What's it going to be like to be raised from the dead? What kind of body will they have? How foolish, Paul says. What you plant doesn't come to life unless it dies. When you plant something, it isn't a completely grown plant when you put it in the ground. You, you only plant a seed. Maybe it's wheat or something else. But God gives the seed a body just as he's planned. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all earthly creatures are the same. People have one kind of body. Animals have another. Birds have another kind. Fish have still another. And there are also heavenly bodies as well as earthly bodies. Heavenly bodies have one kind of glory. Earthly bodies have another. The sun has one kind of glory. The moon has another kind. The stars, still another. And one star's glory is different from another star's. Now, here's his, here, that's his metaphor. That's his illustration. Here's his conclusion. It will be like that with bodies that are raised from the dead. 
The body that is planted in the ground does not last forever. The body that is raised from the dead lasts forever. It is planted without honor, but it is raised in glory. It is planted in weakness. It is raised in power. It is planted as an earthly body, but it is raised a spiritual body. Here's what Paul was telling the, the Corinthian people and is what he wants to tell us today, that, that, that when we're resurrected from the dead, you're going to be different. And God's going to heal everything that's broken. And he's going to remove every bit of corruption. And if that doesn't excite you, if the resurrection of Jesus doesn't give you hope for tomorrow and help for today, with the understanding that there's healing forever coming, then you've somehow missed something about this following Jesus. Because really, ultimately, everyone, that's what it's all about. Listen to what uh, John would say when God revealed to him the end. In 21 of the last book of the Bible, it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were completely gone. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. It was coming down out of heaven from God. It was prepared like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, so up to this point, John has seen God's Jerusalem come down to earth. And then he hears a voice and it says, look, God now makes his home with his people and he will live with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen, we live in a democracy and it's a, we live in a republic, right? And, and it's a flawed republic, as we all know. There's coming a day when we're going to live in a theocracy. And by the way, I want to live in a theocracy. I want to live in a theocracy when Jesus is king. Jesus is our ruler and Jesus is our Lord. And we're all loving him and following him with renewed, uncorrupted selves. That's what I'm looking for. And that's what he says is going to happen. God's going to come and live with us here on the earth. And then he goes on to say this. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. And there will be no more sadness. And there will be no more crying or pain. Things are no longer the way they used to be. He who was sitting on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write it down. You can trust these words. They are true. He's making everything new. Y'all can clap at that. That's, that's really good. He's making everything new. A number of years ago, Obesey Hospital stood there on the main road into Suffolk, right? Most of us that live here know what I'm talking about. And, and they built a new Obesey down the road. And Obesey, the old building, stood there for a long time. And then they, then they raised it to the ground. And out of the rubble, out of the rubble of that destruction, they built these brand new, really nice apartments. You've seen them, right? A lot of people think when Jesus comes, that's what he's going to do. He's going to raise the earth and he's going to create something absolutely different and absolutely new. Something totally different than what is here now. And that very well may be true. But if I could just offer my, my thoughts or my suggestion, here's what I really think is going to happen. I think it's going to be more like this. In the 1950s, my grandparents built a house out on the water down in Pocosin. And it was a, a typical 19... I said 1960s, but actually 1950s. It's a typical house built in the 1950s. It was a brick rancher. It was a rectangular building. All the rooms squared off. 
And over time, my granddaddy, he was a builder. He, uh, he, he did it right with shipyard wood because they used to let him take shipyard wood out of there. And he built, uh, he built a, a carport first and then he closed that in and made a, a playroom out of it. Or no, he closed in the garage, made a playroom, and then he built a sunroom on the back and he had all these extensions, kind of like our church. But anyway, he built all these things uh, that, that he added to the house and, uh, and all the rooms were squared off. My parents, my grandparents died and uh, my parents sold the house. And about 10 years ago, this couple bought the house and they tore everything down except for the original rectangular brick building. And then they gutted it. They raised the ceilings and put cathedral ceilings in it, made it open concept, added an addition to it, put a new roof on it. And I'm telling you, it's like Chip and Joanna Gaines had rebuilt my grandparents' house. And it was beautiful. Every time I go to Pocosin, I want to stop and knock on the door and say, can I walk through your house again? Because it just is so much nicer than the house as it was when my grandparents built it. Now, I want to suggest to you that's what I think Jesus is going to do with the earth. It doesn't really matter what he does. I think he's going to renew this. In fact, in the Revelation passage I read you, it doesn't say that Jesus is going to make all new things. It says he's going to make all things new. I think he's going to I think he's going to refurb the earth much like my much like they did my grandparents house. But it doesn't matter. Here's my point. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he's offering to all of us the potential for healing to be together for always. I don't mean to be trite. I don't mean to minimize anything about the eternal kingdom. But it maybe it's because I'm an extrovert. But I love spending time with people. You know, around a bonfire, campfire, out camping, doing whatever, coming over to my house. You know, I just love spending time with people when there's no, when there's no conflict and we all love each other. Imagine a world in which that's how everybody is. And we will enjoy each other and the Lord Jesus forever. A man and his five-year-old son were driving past the cemetery. They'd recently been to a funeral. And the little boy noticed a pile of dirt beside a freshly dug grave. And he said to his dad, Dad, look, one got out. (laughs) We're celebrating the fact that one did get out this morning. One and only one got out of that grave. And that's the Lord Jesus. And we're celebrating that because today you can have hope for tomorrow. And today... You can have help for your life now. Jesus hasn't left you. He's with you. He's empowering you. He's going he's gonna to walk with you through every moment of every day, never leaving you. And we've got this hope of one day having a world that is the paradise that God wants it to be and will make it to be when he removes corruption and Jesus comes and leads us and rules over us. We followers of Jesus don't need to be afraid of death. Here's what 1 Corinthians 15 says. Oh, death, where is your sting? In fact, I think in that song you sang in, it had those words in it, didn't it? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. I end with one one more metaphorical story. I'm sure this is a preacher story, but a little girl and her father were driving down a country road and a bumblebee came in the car. The little girl was allergic to bee bites and bee stings and she became frantic 
And when the bee landed on the dash, the dad reached out and grabs the bee and took it in its hand, in his hand, and then he releases it. And after he released it, the little girl gets frantic again, and he says, he says, honey, stop. He shows her his hand, and in the center of his hand is the bumblebee sting. And he said, hey, honey, I already took the stinger, and he only has one. He can't, he can't hurt you anymore. That's a metaphorical stinger, I mean, metaphorical story, but Jesus took the stinger of death. And though we shall die, yet shall we live. And if we live, we shall never die. What a Savior. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.